Good morning. Well, we're continuing the series in uh, Exodus, and this morning we're going to look at uh, six chapters, um, which is quite a challenge. Thank you, John. Um, So let's pray, shall we, as we start. Paul wrote to Timothy and said to him, all scripture is God-breathed. So Father, this morning we're looking at your word that you breathed. Father, we pray that as we come to this inspired, this breathed out word, Lord, we pray that you might breathe into our hearts. We might see something of your greatness, who you are, and our response to you. So, Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, We're going to look at chapters 5 to 11. But if you can just look in chapter 6, which is the one that Linda kindly read, we'll look at that in a bit more detail in just a minute. Just want to do a little bit of history, where we're at. Um, The Hebrews, the Israelites, were in fact in a situation a bit not unlike our own, really, where they were very unhappy with their standard of living. And there was lots of discontent, and especially discontent about their leadership. So it's not that far removed from perhaps the situation we're in at the moment. Just good to remember this morning, I don't know if you were listening, Justin Welby has recommended we pray for Liz Truss, because she must feel in many ways pretty broken. So be good perhaps this week, just to remember her and her family. And yeah, think what it would be like if you've done something, set your sight on something and had it shattered. So. Yeah, so a discontented people and a discontented leadership. Now, why was that? I want to go back a little bit. I want to go back about 400 years. We had a group of 70 people. Jacob, that's Abraham's grandson, had led the people into Egypt. There was drought in their own country, and um, Jacob's son, Joseph, was in fact number two in Egypt, just through the way God had so worked things. And so they were treated with respect when they first arrived in in Egypt, and for 400 years, their numbers grew. So they started with a group of 70 people, and by this time, they probably numbered something like 2 million people. But during that 400-year period, they had suffered enormously, and they were now being treated as slaves, being very harshly treated. And so they called out to their God, and God heard them. And we've been looking at that the last couple of weeks, haven't we? How God then spoke to Moses and calls him and says to go and speak to Pharaoh. Tell him to let my people go. He also says to Moses at that time, Pharaoh won't let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Chapter 3, verse 18. This morning we've called the talk, God has no rivals. And this morning we're going to see God's mighty hand compelling Pharaoh. So go back one chapter, we're looking at chapter 5. God has asked Moses to go and see Pharaoh, say, let my people go and worship. Let my people go, a three-day journey so that we can offer sacrifices. Beginning of chapter 5, Pharaoh treats Moses with absolute disdain. Who 
who is the Lord? I don't know him. I won't let you go. It was the beginning of a very, very bad day for Moses. Because Moses, Pharaoh then said to Moses, tell your people they've got to work harder. They make bricks for us. And I'm going to instruct my foremen, my slave drivers, that you've got to make just as many bricks as you have been making, but you're going to have to collect the straw before that straw had been provided. And so there's Moses, goes back and tells the people what's going to happen. So no wonder they're not very happy. Make the same number of bricks, but go and collect the straw. So the Hebrew foremen are driven by the Egyptian slave drivers. You're lazy, you're lazy. Not a great day for Moses. But it got worse. Not only did the people uh, that were making bricks, were they driven badly, they also blamed Moses. Verse 21, chapter 5. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh. And so at the end of chapter 5, God calls out to God again. All you've done, God, is bring trouble on us. You've not rescued us. So now we turn to chapter 6. Sometimes we call out to God, why, don't we? And it's interesting that God doesn't answer Moses' question. But chapter 6 is what he says he's going to do. So if the slides work, first slide. There we, we see in chapters 5 to 11 that God speaks. So what does he firstly say? Verse 1. You will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God reveals his might. Now, it's very interesting. About 450 years before this, God spoke to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 15, we read, Abraham, know for certain your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. They will be enslaved, ill-treated, for 400 years. I will punish that nation and your people will come out. Amazing, isn't it? God foreknows what's going to happen. So he reveals his might. Because of my mighty hand, Pharaoh will let them go. He also reveals his name. Emmanuel spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. The name, I am who I am. Yahweh. Picture of an unchangeable nature. I am. An awesome uniqueness. I am. A timeless authority. I am. He reveals his name. It reminds Moses that he's heard the groanings. I remember my covenant. 
Genesis 15, to your descendants I give this land. God reveals his might. God reveals his name. And now God reveals to Moses his promises. Verse six, I will bring you out from the Egyptian yoke. Verse six, I will free you from being slaves. Verse six, I will redeem you with mighty acts of judgment. Verse seven, I will take you as mine. Verse seven, I will be your God. Verse eight, I will bring you to the land. Verse eight, I will give it to you as a possession. Great promises, I will, I will, I will. Now, a bit of a test for you here. There is one word in these lists of promises that appears for the first time in Scripture in, Genesis, in Exodus chapter 6. Does anyone know what the word is? Well, I'm not very impressed, really. Yes. Uh, that is right. It's not the answer I want, but um, the answer is redeem. I will redeem you. Interesting, God's name, I am, unchangeable, awesome, authority. And what does he reveal that he's going to do? He reveals he's a redeeming God. First time he appears in scripture. But he unveils his plans right at this very early stage in the history of his people. The timeless I am. So this picture, isn't it, of being redeemed, being brought back, as if God is one of saying, I take, I'm gonna take you back. People used to take things into a pawn shop, didn't they? Get some money, so they wanted money, take something into a pawn shop. They were then, when they got sufficient, um, financially in a, a better situation, they then go back and redeem the item that's been in pawn. So here's a picture of God's heart wanting to take us back. And how's he gonna redeem us? He's gonna redeem us with mighty acts of judgment. Verse six, more about that later. So what price did the Hebrews have to pay to be redeemed? I'm jumping on to next week's talk, really. But it's this thought of they had to sacrifice a lamb. And the blood of the lamb had to be put on the gateposts. And as God moved across the land, the Hebrew people were redeemed, were saved. It foreshadows Christ, doesn't it? So the price had to be paid. God's in the act of wanting us back, drawing us to himself. So it's great, isn't it? All those wonderful promises. We get those from our leaders as well, don't we? Often not fulfilled. But here's a God, timeless authority, who says, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, I will redeem you, you'll be mine. 
And what would, you, what would your response be? Wouldn't it be fantastic? Thank you, thank you, thank you. But what does it say in verse 9? Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they didn't listen to him because of their discouragement and their harsh labor. Must have felt pretty gutted, really, mustn't it? God had perhaps almost encouraged him, and here were the people not believing him. But the Lord just says to Moses, don't worry about what the people said, go, verse 10, 11, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go. Moses again queries another why. Why? I've got faltering lips. So in both cases, he asks why, and in both cases, God doesn't answer, God just does. He just says at the beginning of chapter 7, go tell Pharaoh to let the people go. So we think of God who speaks, he's shown his might, he's revealed his name, he's revealed his promises, but now it's a God who not only speaks, it is a God who acts. Next slide, please. If it's there. Patience. There we are. God acts. He's a God without rivals. So remember Pharaoh. They were, it was, he lived in the land. He regarded himself as divine. And they had so many deities. So many deities. And so he says to Moses, who is the Lord? I don't know him. Why should I obey him? And here in these series of plagues, God shows his greatness over all the other so-called gods. There's a bit of a cycle. It's not always identical, but basically Moses goes into Pharaoh and says, the Lord God says, let my people go. And if you don't let my people go, I will send judgments upon you. And most times, <laughs> Pharaoh just hardens his heart. Sometimes he shows a little bit of, oh, goodness, we're getting in a pretty situation. Oh, Moses, please help. Please, please pray and stop what's going to happen. But then he, Moses does that, and, and lo and behold, he still hardens his heart, and he doesn't let the people go. So don't look these up, but basically, chapter 7, verse 17, God says, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed to blood. The fish will die. The Nile was regarded as divine. The Nile was worshipped. God changed it to blood. 8 verse 2. I will plague your whole country with frogs. The frog was again a god who was worshipped. But the frog god couldn't stop millions and millions of frogs running over the country. 8.16, I will strike your, strike your staff on the dust. Dust will become gnats. Again, a lot of the emblems of their gods were insects. But the insect gods couldn't stop the gnats. 8.21, I will send swarm of flies. There was a god of insects. 
9 verse 3, the hand of the Lord will bring a plague on your livestock, horses, camels, donkeys, cattle, sheep, and goat. Cows and bulls were regarded as sacred deities. No power to stop God. Toss soot, soot, soot into the air, and in that dust will turn into boils, boils over everybody, painful, festering sores. Where was the God of medicine? 9.22, stretch your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall over Egypt. God of the sky couldn't stop the hail. 10 verse 4, I will bring locusts. They will cover the ground so it cannot be seen. Where was the God of the protection of the crops? Stretch out your hands so that, 10.21, stretch out your hands so that darkness will spread out over Egypt. Dark, pitch darkness, day in, day out. Where was the God of the sun? 11.4, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. Pharaoh saw all this. And the last verse of the passage we're looking at is at the end of verse 11. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and wouldn't let the Israelites go. We're going to look at Pharaoh a bit later on. He's a God without rivals. We know the story, don't we? Can you imagine living through that? So what happened to the Israelites during this period? What what about the Hebrews? Again, some other verses. 8.22, during the time of the flies. God says, I will differentiate with the land of Goshen, where my people are. That was in the Nile Delta. I will make a distinction. No swarms of flies will be there. God acting as a God of grace. During the plague of the livestock, the Lord will make a distinction. No animal belonging to the Israelites will die. 9.4. During the plague of the hail, the only place where it did not hail was where the Israelites were. 11.6 and 7. God passed through the land, the firstborn die. There's anguish, screaming, howling. God passes through. But among the Israelites, 11.6, not a dog will bark. Amazing picture, isn't it? God of grace. What's the distinction? I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Picture of God with no rivals saying, you're mine, you're safe. What grace, a God who redeems and secures. 
But the more difficult one here is it's a God who judges. Just going to look about Pharaoh for a few minutes because there's a, a complex a little bit. It talks several times at the beginning of the plagues that Pharaoh hardened his heart. When the Nile turns to blood with the frogs, with the gnats, with the flies, with the hail. Pharaoh hardened his heart. But from the plague of the boils onwards, the text changes. It says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So for the locusts, the darkness, the firstborn, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And in chapter 7, before the place begins, he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment. I will bring out my people. The Egyptians will know I am the Lord. So was Pharaoh just a puppet in God's hands? Did Pharaoh have no chance? This is your allotted task, Pharaoh. You're going to... I'm going to harden your heart so that people can see I'm the Lord. Doesn't ring true with Scripture, does it? What does ring true with Scripture? That people, of his own free will, Pharaoh hardened his heart time after time after time. He chose to defy God. He refused, in spite of all he saw, to say, you're the Lord. And it would appear that he almost went too far and God just confirmed his choice. If you read Romans 1, Paul writes to the Romans, three types of people says, and God gave them up. That's hard, isn't it? And so scripture says so many times, don't harden your hearts. Not easy reading. It's a picture of a holy, perfect, just God judging evil. Adam and Eve dismissed from the garden. The flood of the people in the time of Noah. Sodom and Gomorrah. God judges. And scripture teaches each one of us will be judged. You say, well, is God being very fair? Isn't this a bit harsh? But if your wife was raped, would you want justice? If your child was stabbed, would you want justice? If your house is set on fire, Would you want justice? God judges justly evil. But also we present here a holy, perfect, just God who's merciful. I'm going to stretch scripture here. If John's going to watch, I'm sorry, John. He says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Chapter 6. And I just thought of those outstretched arms of Christ. 
And that was a mighty act of judgment because on him our sins were judged and the penalty was taken by him. Outstretched arms, mighty act of judgment. God laying on him the iniquity of us all, taking our judgment. Let's be quiet perhaps as we close. Thanking God for that mighty act of judgment on the cross so that we might know he is the Lord. We're going to sing in a minute, Tim, if you want to come up, about the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. Perhaps just for a few minutes, we just met different types of people there this morning. And perhaps that might be me, that might be you. Perhaps discouraged because of the situation you find yourself in. Things are hard. You might feel a bit like Moses felt, a a bit of a failure and disillusioned. You might feel a bit hard-hearted towards him. Christ wants us As he said, as God says to Moses, listen to me, do what I say. God wants us to listen to him. Beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. God wants us to see how much he loves us. Yes, he's just and merciful. Father, in some ways this is really difficult scripture to look at because there was so much pain and agony here. This is the cost of sin. Father, we thank you that through that mighty act of judgment on the cross, with the outstretched arms of Christ, you met a broken world with the promise of healing, of forgiveness, of eternity. Oh, Father, help us to see you have no rivals. Father, if there are other gods that we're looking after, we'll point them out, Father, things that we're putting before you. You have no rival. King of kings, Lord of lords, we bless you and praise you in Jesus' name.